Good morning, church. How we doing? All right. To say that I'm a little energetic and uh, excited to stand here before you is a huge understatement, but I want to say thank you to Pastor Steve and Pastor Glenn for trusting me with this opportunity. But wow, this right here, from here to here, you guys, is a huge difference. It's only six feet, but it's like I'm sweating already. I have no guitar, I have no mic stand, I got nothing. I had to swap out the preaching thing for a music stand, so I had a nice little, this is my safe space, okay? You guys with me? All right, now that that's out of the way. My name's Ian, I'm one of the pastors here. Specifically, I'm the Associate Pastor of Worship Arts and Publications. Please note, I said Associate Pastor, not Sociopath, okay? (laughs) I want you guys to, I want to make that clarification. No, but in all seriousness, um, it's a real joy to lead you each week with this team uh, in worship and, and singing songs of praise. It's an honor for me to be here, a humbling honor, and I pray that maybe we can extend some grace this way this morning. Amen? Awesome. Hey, we've been working through the book of Acts like for almost the whole year. Like We've taken a few breaks, but it's been all about the Acts of the Apostle for most of this year. And it's been this really cool journey of unpacking like the birth of the church and how it grows and all the ebbs and flows and everything that that came in and around it but I think as we're teaching through this it's in, it's important for us to come back to a little bit of practical context like the fact that in those crazy highs and crazy lows it almost reads like a it doesn't it read like a I don't know, an action novel or something like this. Then they went here and then they did this and this guy fell out of a window and there was ups and downs and all these things, which all those things are true. But the reality is Acts was written in over like a 30-year period. Paul would travel 10,000 miles by foot and establish 14 churches, all of which were established by the time we reach our text today, which is Acts 21 and 22. Paul has most likely just finished his letter to the Romans, and uh, it's probably been shipped off a little bit, and it may be circulating, we don't really know, but this is is about that time that the letter to Rome was was written. And as we heard a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim, in Acts 20, Paul said this, he said, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits, except that the Holy Spirit tells me, city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead, but... My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work, uh, Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And as Pastor Steve unpacked last week, everybody's afraid for Paul. They're afraid for him to go to Jerusalem. Well, and we find out today why. We find out today why, because today is a ton of scripture, you guys. I'm not going to apologize for it, but I'm just going to say, buckle up. It's like Pastor Steve says, buckle up, buttercup. We're in, for, we're in this one, okay? It's going to be Luke, narrated by yours truly, so follow along as we go. Acts 21.15, we pick up right where we left off last week. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasseh a man originally from Cyprus who was one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James and the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished 
among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews also believed? And they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses and heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow the Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what we do. Here's what we want to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join in the purification ceremony paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved, then everyone will know that the rumors are false and that you yourself observe the Jewish lies. Laws, not lies, Jewish laws, correction. As the Gentile believers, as for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consumption of blood or the meat strangled or meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. So this all seems a little bit strange to us, doesn't it? We, we're kind of on this side of the resurrection, this side of a lot of church history, which is like you have your Old Testament and your New Testament put together in your nice Bibles or in your phone that you get to look at. See, the early church didn't have that. Like I said, Paul just maybe finished his, ro- he did for sure finish his letter to Rome and it might have already been circulating, but we just don't know. For the first 300 years of Christianity, There was no formal New Testament. We have to look at this portion of Acts through the context of being in Jerusalem only 20, 25 years after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus following Jews. They would have have participated in all kinds of Jewish devotional practices. Things that would direct their hearts and their minds to worship, humility, and service. Even Paul himself took that very same vow that the four men are taking. Paul took that vow uh, and ritual before he left for Corinth on his first trip. Paul even said himself in 1 Corinthians 9.20, he says, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the, the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ, those who are under the law. See, the issue here I don't think is really the the idea of law, Gentile. It's, It's in their reasoning behind their request. It says the Jewish believers here This is what the the council says. The Jewish believers here uh, in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching the Jews that live among the Gentiles not to listen to the law of Moses. So Paul, let's do a little vow, pay for the guys to have their sacrifices done, prove without a doubt that your allegiance lies in the law of Moses. You're a good law-abiding Jew. And as for those Gentiles, well, you know, we already took care of that with a letter. Now that letter is referring to in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. Do you guys remember that? I think it had to have been a real gut punch to Paul to hear this. Again, he had just written Romans, unpacking some of the deepest theology in our Christian faith. Man, it would have been a real, oh gosh, okay guys. And to boil it all down to, hey, we we've, we've took care of that Gentile problem with that letter. Remember that? I think... We shouldn't really upset the apple cart, should we, Paul? Not here in Jerusalem. 
See, N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, he, Paul, must have felt like a serious musician who, having played the top concert halls around the world, returned home, was invited to admire someone playing a few old tunes in a pub down the road. He could understand and respect what they were saying, but he knew a larger world. See, unfortunately, as we see next, this backfires on the Jerusalem Council. And it actually, instead of avoiding a situation, incites one. Because Paul goes to the temple with the men. Uh, he sets up when the vow is going to be through and when the sacrifices would be offered. And we pick back up in verse 27. It says this, The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple. He even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, he had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus. And they assumed, everybody say assumed. Because we all know that leads to great things, right? They assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations and, an, and a riot, a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and, the, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment and all of, that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out to his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. The mob saw the, the, mob saw the commander and the troops coming They stopped beating Paul. That's good. The commander arrested him and ordered him to be bound by two chains. I got to stop. I just can't help but see Steve laying right here. Anybody here last week bound up, preaching? Yeah, it was good. Anyways, I can't get that out of my head. Okay, he asked the crowd who, who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and another, some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth, Uh, In all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken back to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him up on their shoulders to protect him. And And the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. Friends, words, words have power. Our words, your words, they have power. This is like the the worst game of telephone ever. You remember that? You remember telephone where everybody sit in a circle and little Tommy would sit down and he'd whisper to the left and he'd go, I love the slide at recess. And then about three quarters around the circle, poor Janet starts bawling her eyes out and she's like, Mrs. Lowell died at recess, right? But this is worse. This is far worse than this because it's the same thing, only it's not a game and it's based on assumptions, So by the time the Roman commander gets involved, one person's shouting one thing, one another, the crowd ends up shouting, kill him, kill him, and they can't even explain to the commander why. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words have power. See, I think this is where this, really, this passage really kind of gets real for us and we can relate to this because this mob was incited by speculation, was incited by assumptions. You see, like this crowd, we can often buckle under social pressures, can't we? Fear, unknowns, partial truths. 
things that threaten our traditions, our mindsets. We can jump on bandwagons at the drop of a phrase or even a 60-second video clip, can't we? All of this, friends, is rooted again in fear, just like we talked about last week. And fear does not allow good decisions. The mob mentality is a mentality of fear. And fear overwhelms, it clouds the mind, dulls your judgment. Things you never thought were acceptable aren't so bad after all. I mean, even justifiable. Before too long, you're one of those in the crowd shouting like they did for Paul. You see, even now, as I say these words, some of you are trying to put me on one side of the aisle or the other. We just can't help ourselves. But I believe the terrifying thing of today's mob is this, friends, that it's all masked in freedom. You hear me? It's masked in freedom, but today's freedom comes from the right influencer, the right politician, or even, uh uh-oh, self. Don't question who I am. Only I know who I am. Only I know who I truly am because that's my truth. No, 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 no. God knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 139, you examine my heart. You know everything about me. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Your workmanship is marvelous. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I encourage you guys to read Psalm 139 this week. It'll rock your world. Friends, the only, the only way we find true freedom is in the truth, the truth of God, the creator of the universe who stepped down into our mess, the mess that we've made to live the life that we could not, sinless, blameless, always full of grace, mercy, and truth. And he died the death that we should have. Just like this song we just sang, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason that I'm alive. For his blood has set me free. His sacrifice once and for all conquers sin and death and it will never, never lose its power for me. Don't let fear put you in a mob mindset. Don't let deception creep in. Seek the truth always. The truth of these letters, the truth of scripture, the truth is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me, the Son. Don't react out of fear, but respond out of love for one another. I'm gonna say that again. It's worth saying, don't react out of fear, but respond out of love for one another. Did you know Jesus always responded to every situation. He never reacted. He never had this knee-jerk reaction and it was a bad outcome. There were some bad outcomes, but he always did the right thing. He always spoke truth. See, Paul has been beaten up for this truth of the gospel over and over and over. And here he is again, faced being beaten by a mob and he hasn't even said a word. Did you notice that? Paul hasn't spoken at all. And he's been beat to smithereens been punched, kicked, scratched, God knows what else, manages, he manages to say to the, the commander, uh, may I have a word with you? And the, the commander does double take and he says, 
uh, you know Greek? He's like, yeah. He's like, aren't you the Egyptian that led that rebellion with the 4,000 assassins and the, what? No. It goes from Paul bringing a Gentile into the temple to now he's a Egyptian assassin leader? Gotta be careful. We gotta be careful. He says, no, I'm a Jew, a citizen of Tarsus, a very important city. Please let me talk to these people. And the commander actually allows Paul to do so. And as Paul begins to motion this roaring crowd to be quiet, we pick back up in chapter 22. And he says, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speak in their own language, the silence was even greater. You can hear a pin drop. You know what I love about this? Paul starts his defense the same exact way Stephen did in Acts 7. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you here today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priests and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. And as I was on the road approaching Damascus, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard this voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus of the Nazarene, the one you have been persecuting. See, the people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to, into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. Paul says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a good, he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came And stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at the very moment I could see. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. I'm gonna pause right here. If you are a new believer, if you have confessed with your, in your heart and with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's transformed you from the inside out and now you're living for him, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. It's not required. It's not magical There is no power other than the power of celebration. It is a public declaration of this radical change Christ has made on the inside and now expressed living out and through. 
So if you are new and you want to be baptized, please fill out a card. Let us know. We want to baptize you. We want to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. After I returned, this is a little tangent for you, okay? Uh, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was, in, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. This is really cool. This little piece of Paul's testimony, his story, is heard nowhere else than, than this portion of Acts. He doesn't say anything about any other conversion story. But you know what the cool thing about it is? This, is, this took, took place 20 years beforehand, probably two to three years after he was baptized, received. But Paul knew his audience, and Paul wanted to show him, guys, I'm devout. I love the God of our fathers. All right, he continues in 19. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Paul knew in his mind he was the right guy. He was the Jew of Jews. He was persecuting the way. Why wouldn't they believe him? Of course so. He longed to unpack to his Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem this. But it says in verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This wasn't new to Paul. Paul had been told by Ananias that he was being sent to the Gentiles and the kings as well as the people of Israel. It's not new to him. But Paul longed to connect to his audience and make it abundantly clear that he was there for them. But it didn't matter. He got cut off because in verse 22, the crowd listened until Paul said that word. And then they all began to shout, away with the fellow. He isn't fit to live. And they yell and threw off their coats, tossed handfuls of dust in the air. This probably broke Paul's heart. He probably longed to unpack to them that Jesus was the promised Messiah to their fathers, that he didn't do, he wasn't preaching abolition of the law. We don't get rid of the law, but Christ was the fulfillment of the law. He longed to, I guarantee it. He just was waiting to unpack that to, the, to his Jewish brothers and sisters. We see it clearly all throughout his ministry. Where does Paul go? He goes to the synagogue first. Until they're done with him and they run him out, then he goes to the Gentiles and then the Holy Spirit does all this work that only the Holy Spirit can do and now you've got this gritty, beautiful mixture called the church that's Jew and Gentile and, and Greek. What's the point? The point is, is we all have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. God has called you, selected you and placed you in a specific situation you're in to share your story. The story of how God rescued you from yourself, rescued you from your addiction, your arrogance, fill in the blank. From death to life, he brought you out of something or he's bringing you out of something now. I'm so thankful for our men's group. We meet on Wednesday nights in room six over here and this question came up about our story and where, where did you, you know, where did you say yes or when did you say yes to Jesus? And a story after story was, man, I, I grew up in the church. I knew better. I went, a, I went away. I went astray, but God got a hold of my heart and he, and he rid me of this addiction, this lust, this greed, this self-hate, 
and he made me new. Friends, that's, that's my own story. My own story is I grew up in the church, a church here in town. I loved church as a kid. Even going into middle school and high school, I loved it. But you know what? The ways of this world began to distract me and woo me in. And before long, I was pursuing, instead of Jesus, knowing who he was, I was pursuing a life of rock and roll and the other two things that go in front of that, those other two words. You know what I'm talking about? If you know, you know. But God had a better way. And he used a girl. Of course he used a girl. He always uses a girl. Well, for me, he did. From that same church, right? To help pull me out of darkness. And Jesus was no longer this figure in scripture, but he revealed to me that he was the Lord of my life. He took on my shame. He took on all the garbage that I had and he wore it on the cross, and he bled out for me, and he no longer became this really cool figure in history, but he became Lord of my life because he revealed the truth in my heart. My bride's story, yes, same woman, okay, same gal that God used. I married her, thank you. Uh, her, Her story's the complete opposite. She grew up in church. She was always faithful, right? Stayed the path, But even that brought its own set of issues. She can tell you that some other time. But that brought its own set of issues. But God used both of our stories together, used her to straighten out this hard-headed, stubborn musician and artist, and I helped her. I don't know what I did for her, but she did a lot for me, and we're trying to still figure that out. But that's not the point, all right? Don't misunderstand me, all right? My story wasn't this blinded by the light situation. I really wanted to bust into song right there, but I'll refrain. Thank you. See, if you know, you know. See, our lives, my life, our lives together have always been a state of constant surrender, bit by bit, day by day, most of the time, hour by hour, and moment by moment. You have a story to tell. So our time in Acts this morning comes to, uh, concludes with a beaten and battered Paul longing to preach the gospels to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, but he was shut down before he could even unpack the truth for them. The Roman commander brings Paul inside the barracks and the door shut behind him and then he orders him to be basically lashed and whipped until they get a confession out of him of what he did. That's the Roman way. But in that moment, Paul reveals his citizenship. And it's like this, uh uh-oh moment, right? Because he says, is it legal to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried yet? And in verse 26, we pick up uh, the rest of our time. He says, uh, when the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, um, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, he muttered, but it costs me plenty. But Paul answered, yeah, but I am a citizen by birth. I imagine, like, you remember in the old movies, bum, bum, bum. They're like, oh, no, this is bad. And it was bad. The soldiers, it says this, the soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew. And when they had heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him to be bound and whipped. The commander and those guys could have lost their lives under Roman law because of this. 
But it almost sounds like Paul was hiding his Roman citizenship, didn't it? It was like waiting to pull his, ha I'm a Roman citizen. Or he just was almost beat to death and highly concussed and it's really hard to think clearly. Either way, this fulfills Agabus and Steve Steele's binding of Paul, right? And for the rest of our time in Acts, Paul will remain in Roman custody and he will see Rome as he longed to do and said in his letters, but it just might not be the way that he imagined. But will this stop Paul from sharing the good news of the gospel? You're gonna have to come back and find out. Which leads me to? So what? It just keeps getting better. It's great. All right, what do I do? What's the takeaway? What do I do with this information? And you have a story. And just like Paul was uniquely equipped, the Jew of Jews, right? But he was also a Roman citizen, which allowed him just this beautiful access to the known world that he could share the good news of the gospel. You too are equipped in the same way, Paul. God has wired you in such a way and set you in such a place that you too are unique in your story. You have a certain set of skills. You have certain influence that you can influence for the gospel. So know your story. You've got to know your story. Write it down. Rehearse it. I, heard, I rehearsed this thing like six times this week, right? Rehearse your story. Write it down. Sometimes when we write things down, we remember things that we might have forgotten. Be ready with a solid foundation when the time comes. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. Always gentleness and respect. But you have to share your story. Don't be ashamed of your story. It's a gift from God to you. Every little piece of joy, every piece of pain is this redemption journey and one of your greatest tools to sharing the grace and peace of the gospel message. Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek but maybe you're here today and God's still working on your story. Maybe you're still checking this whole church thing out still. I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Stick around, hang out, keep pursuing the truth. Hang out with us, ask questions and dig in because I was in that same place. When Amanda and I were first dating, that's my wife, by the way, um, in case you didn't know, we, we were about, I don't know, six, to, six months in, eight months in, 10 months in, and I was still just pursuing rock and roll and the other two things that go with that. Remember what I said? And, and we had this, this horrible dinner at Elephant Bar, which I can't stand the Elephant Bar to this day because of that. No offense to the Elephant Bar. I don't even think they're around anymore. But we broke up, and the moment we broke up, I was like, oh, that was a really dumb thing, but that's all right, I'm good. I've got this, this is great. But about three weeks into that break, breakup, a few weeks in, I started, hey, how are you? Are things doing okay? Well, her side of the story was she's sitting in, in the backyard with her dad. She goes, dad, is this really who you want for me? 
Right now, he's everything that you've told me that I don't want to look for in a man. And I thank God every day for Greg Barker because you know what her daddy said? Sweetheart, I think you better pray about that because he saw something in me. The Jesus in him saw something in me and said, I don't, I think you need to, you need to rethink this. He's not as smelly as you think he is. But can I tell you something? That same man that stood up for me was also the same guy I grew up watching play that guitar on stage. Worshiping God, playing his heart out for Jesus. They used to do this thing back in the day called the main event. And, and the main event was where they would take all the songs on, from the radio at the time. And you know, every song has a story and most of them are like, are they talking about Jesus? I don't really understand. They're really depressed or sad. But it was in the 90s and late, early 2000s, so it was like R.E.M., Hootie and the Blowfish, Matchbox 20. No, I'm alone on that one. Nobody likes those guys? All right. Okay, so they also played classics like the Eagles and the Stones and Doobie Brothers and all that. They even did a, a Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven on Easter, Y2K. And the whole culmination was that Jesus is the only stairway to heaven through his death, burial, and resurrection. It was awesome. And it was yes and amen. But it was that guy. I can vividly remember you guys begging my parents, can we please go to early service? It was like eight o'clock and we lived like 40 minutes away. So they'd get up, they'd take me down there and I can vividly remember looking at him playing that guitar and going, man, I wanna be like that guy someday. I wanna be just like him. And you know what the beauty is? Is that guy became my spiritual mentor, my father-in-law my brother in Christ, a bandmate, and he became my best friend. And he loved Jesus with every fiber of his being all the way through his last breath. So every time I pick this guitar up, his story lives through me, and I'm reminded of the grace and the mercy of a man who loved Jesus, who showed him grace and mercy and love. See, the beauty of our stories, you guys, is that they're just these unique, beautiful, vibrant colors mashed together, intertwining into the great, beautiful tapestry of God's redeeming story of goodness and love and grace for us. If it wasn't for Greg Barker, my life would look so different. And I can only hope to be Greg Barker to somebody else, to love them like he loved me. I can only hope and pray that I can sit across the table from my little girl someday in a backyard and say, sweetie, I think you need to pray for that. You gotta pray about that. Because the man had faith like no other. He was meek like no other. Oh, but he loved Jesus. These are our stories and they have eternal weight if we're willing to share them. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your story, the story of redeeming love, that you went to the cross, you took our shame, you took our our sin, and you paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. God, I pray for those now who are struggling with their story, God, would you make it clear to them now that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you help us to love people Would you help us to 
be bold in sharing our story. Because it's your story of redemption. Let us sing of your goodness forever, King of Kings. It's in your name we pray. Amen.